Christmas was about God's dream of restoring relationship and covenant with fallen man, a dream that has rightfully been called both the romance and the mystery of the ages. A romance because God loves us so, and a mystery because, well, God loves us so. Neither one can be readily or easily explained. Everybody here knows what happened on Christmas morning. I don't need to tell you that again. It's the most important story known to man and one of the best known. It literally changed our destiny as humanity and it's the most glorious of all events that have occurred in man's illustrious history on this planet and one that is so captivating that I think you agree with me that it needs no embellishments and it probably doesn't even need any real explanations. We understand what Christmas is about. However, the fact that it needs no embellishments didn't stop one little boy from making an adjustment to the story that he thought would help give him a little more of the limelight in a school play. And obviously this was some years ago before they decided things like this were harmful to our children in schools. It was the night before Christmas and the local primary school was putting on the nativity play and everyone was excited and happy except one little boy who wanted to play the part of Joseph. And instead he had been given the role of the innkeeper. And he decided he was going to get even with everybody by rewriting the nativity story without telling anyone. And so when they reached the part of the story where Joseph and Mary knocked at the door of the inn, this little boy put his own spin on things, threw the door wide open and said, come on in, we have plenty of room. The little boy playing the part of Joseph was nonplussed momentarily, but being a quick-witted little guy, he leaned around the innkeeper and looked past him through the open door and then staring the innkeeper right in the eye said, no wife of mine's going to stay in a dump like that. We'd rather take the stable. Amen. And he got the story back on track. I'd like to get the Christmas story on track today if I could. And I want us to look at a few more verses, Luke 2, 22 through 24. And when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him, that is Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. In connection with that, I want to turn to one of the most profoundly important verses of Scripture any fellow traveler in life will ever commit to memory or whose principle you can ever master and incorporate into your own system of values. It's Proverbs 16 and 3, and it goes like this. Commit your work to the Lord. And then your plans will succeed. I want to talk to you today from the subject, how to survive your dream. I'm not here to talk to you about how to make your dream survive. I'm talking today 
about how you can survive your dream. Father, would you speak a word to us now and as we often ask, in fact, each Sunday we ask knowing the limited intellectual capacity and ability that I possess and knowing that I need to touch lives with a word that is greater than I would be capable of giving within my own intelligence, I ask you to please speak to us now. And not only that, transcend our intelligence as a people and as human beings to give us divine insight and the principles of life, lest these important truths of Scripture go right by us and we fail to benefit from them. We ask in Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. I don't know if you've ever thought about it or not. Everybody's talking about danger right now. I came in yesterday from overseas and turned on the news as I am wont to do on a Saturday evening and try to catch up. And everybody was talking about danger, danger, danger. The Democratic debate was last night, the Democratic Party, and that terrorism was a major topic in the debate. And Everybody's concerned about things that are going on. There was a, scooting, a shooting in a, a mall uh, somewhere in the Midwest yesterday, and the mall was closed for a while. And then what went on in San Bernardino and uh, the Boston Marathon, and uh, just one thing after another, and all kinds of things in between those events that I don't have time to even refer to. But people are concerned about safety. I want to tell you one of the most dangerous things in the world is a dream. It is. Joseph's brothers recognized the danger of, of Joseph's dream and the fact that dreams are very dangerous compelled them to kill their younger brother or at least try to. They started out in that direction because he was dreaming dreams that they felt threatened by and made insecure by. Joseph if I could say it like this, almost didn't survive his own dream. His brothers nearly killed him before his dreams could be made manifest. Dreams are dangerous things. They're not the only, that's not the only one whose dream ever got him into trouble. I can tell you there are many people in life whose dreams bring them face to face with danger. Sir Edmund Hillary climbing Mount Everest. That was a daunting task. Even to this day, it's still a daunting task. And he had to face danger every step of the way. Uh, the space shuttle that exploded, I will never forget that morning that occurred because I was in preaching in a meeting in California, and I watched it when it happened, and, and that space shuttle exploded. And remember Ronald Reagan's words about they reached up to touch the face of God. Danger. They were men going into a different dimension and place than most of us will ever have the experience of being able to travel to. And people that dream dreams are, are people that commit themselves to experience danger. Usually in the course of building your life, you must survive your dream in one of two ways. You must survive both its failure and its success. I look at Moses Moses almost didn't survive the failure of his dream. He failed before he succeeded. You are aware of that. He tried to take matters in his own hands and had to run for his life after killing that Egyptian fellow. 
and spent the next 40 years of his life on the backside of a desert, very nearly not surviving the failure of his dream. Failure is actually life's way of making success uncommon enough that we are willing to work to achieve it and then value it when it comes. If you failed a few times and then you succeed, trust me when I tell you, you figure out which one is the best of those two situations in a hurry. And you learn to appreciate it. It was Dennis Waitley who said, failure should be our teacher, not our undertaker. Failure is delay, not defeat. It is a temporary detour, not a dead end. Failure is something we can avoid only by saying nothing, doing nothing, and being nothing. And most of us are not willing to allow our lives to be the sum total of a zero. We're willing to put ourselves at risk. Moses thought success would be easy. After all, look who he was. And you have to understand there were huge discrepancies in culture between classes of people then. Moses was a part of the elite privileged few, raised as Pharaoh's grandson or as a son to Pharaoh, which is the way they took their grandsons. And he thought his success would be easy, raised in Pharaoh's house, educated by the most brilliant gifted scholars and scientists of the day. He had the right contacts and he had the right connections, but he failed. And in Exodus 2 and 14, and when he failed after having killed the Egyptian guy one day after going to visit his brethren, the children of Israel, the next day he tried to interfere and stop a dispute between a couple of Hebrew fellows, and one of them said, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? And the guy questioned actually Moses' position and also his legitimacy and his right to interfere. And actually, that was exactly what God had appointed Moses to be. The thing the guy was questioning Moses about was what his destiny really was meant to be. He was meant to be a prince, and he was meant to be a judge over the nation of Israel. And here's this guy questioning that. You ever have anybody question what you know in your heart you were really created by God to do? And they look at you and say, who, who, who do you think you are? Amen. That was exactly what happened with Moses. He was a prince. We know this, Exodus 2 and 10. The scripture says the child, Moses, grew, and she, Miriam, brought him to Pharaoh's daughter. Her mother uh, actually had raised Moses as though she were the nurse, but she was really his own mother. Pharaoh's daughter hired Moses' mother on finding that baby in the little basket and floating at the bank of the Nile River to nurse this child, not realizing she was actually hiring the biological mother of the lad. And now the scripture says when he grew, he became her, Pharaoh's daughter's son. And Pharaoh's daughter called his name Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water, which is what his name meant. So he was literally adopted as a prince. That's what the daughter of a Pharaoh gives birth to. You do know that, that She's a princess, and all of her children are the princes of the kingdom, as well as any brothers she might have. And again, Hebrews chapter 11, 24 through 25, by faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing temporary pleasures of sin. 
Yeah, you ask who made you a prince? I tell you who did. God did. You ask me who made Moses a judge? That was God too in Exodus 18, 13. And so it was on the next day that Moses set to judge the people. And the people stood before Moses from morning till until evening. It was God that gave Moses the law on Mount Sinai. And it's clear what his destiny was. But what is not so easily understood is why it took him 40 years alone with sheep to get there. And God had to prepare him to fulfill his destiny. Moses, arrogant, brash, raised at the top of the heap, as it were, privileged in every kind of way. You know, could take somebody's life just like that, even if it was a fellow Egyptian and never think twice about it or experience remorse. He thought it was his right to do so, and God had to break all that down. In a case study of Moses, we can see that dreams can fail before they succeed, and they fail for a number of reasons. It is unlikely, in fact, that anyone who has ever been successful at anything of any significance in life achieved their dream without first experiencing failure. You will first fail before you succeed, which is why you have to get up and try it again. Amen. And here are five reasons dreams fail. Number one, the timing can be wrong. That was the case with Moses. First time Moses went, the second time he was sent. Big difference in the two. Big difference in going alone and big difference in going with God. The right thing at the wrong time is still a mistake. Number two, dreams fail because we can fail to strategize, plan, set realistic goals, act, and then measure our progress toward those goals. In a word, we are not prepared. Moses acted impulsively without any plan, and part of that was consistent with the culture. What plan did Moses need being Pharaoh's grandson, a prince of the kingdom? Moses walked into the room, and everybody else immediately deferred to Moses. And Moses said, well, I want to do this. And he didn't have to figure out the details and the minutiae. He didn't have to get all that lined up to, to get it done. His expressed wish became their command, and everybody else would go to work figuring out how to get it done because he's in line even to be Pharaoh. So Moses didn't know how to plan anything. And there are a lot of folk in life that don't realize that to build a marriage or a business or a ministry, you need to plan your work and work your plan. And I mean, who among us would travel any great distance? For example, uh, there's a, if you were to go to the internet and you were to Google Aurora Cam, C-A-M, Aurora Cam, that's a northern lights, Cam standing for camera, and Aurora Cam Yellowknife, at night they actually have a live display of the Aurora Borealis on a camera, and they do the same thing in a number of places in the world, and if you wanted to go see that, which trust me when I tell you, is one of the most singularly impressive things you will ever see while you're alive, to see the heavens just dancing in lights and reds and greens and all purples, I mean yellows, it is all inspiring. They claim in one display of the Aurora Borealis, there is enough uh, 
energy created to run the electrical or the energy needs of this entire planet for months at the time. And God gives it away free. Amen. It is something to behold. You want to go see that? Who would just jump in their car and take off and start driving? You'd at least find out where Yellowknife Canada's at. You'd at least ask, is there an airport there? There's flights. Uh, uh, is there a hotel? You only see this at night, so that means I'm going to have to spend the night somewhere. And if I'm going to spend the night, I probably will need something to eat too. So are there any restaurants? And nobody would plan a trip without first, or take a trip without first sitting down and doing a little planning. But it's amazing how many people set out in life and never have a plan at all. Amen. And fourthly, I would point out that, that you can, or thirdly, I can point out that your plans can fail because you have incorrect motives. Certainly, Moses acted out of ego and anger. And I've seen people that started out in the right direction and it was God's destiny for their life to achieve what they were pursuing, but they didn't get there because their spirit or attitude was wrong. And to have succeeded under those circumstances would have been the most destructive thing that ever could have happened. So as in Moses' case, sometimes there's a little breaking that needs to happen inside of us as we fine-tune and adjust our hearts and spirits and and then the dream is allowed to succeed. And number four, you can fail in building your dream because you don't build the right team. And, and I, I pointed out that a God-sized dream always requires a team to succeed. As I've said before, teamwork makes the dream work. Right, Andrew? Amen. You don't win championships just because you're good at catching footballs by yourself. You better have some other guys there with you. Amen. I don't care how good you are. You don't win championships alone. The first time Moses went alone, the second time he took the time to build a team. You can't do it by yourself. And, and I want to again say thank you to everybody here at CT for partnering with us. We would not be where we are as a church without you. Thank you. Amen. And I sincerely mean that. We fail to communicate our dreams to the right people is the fifth reason that, that dreams fail. We don't communicate our dreams in such a way that they too embrace the vision. And we take it for granted that they will just be on board and understand what we're called to do. But that's not the case. One reason Moses had to spend 40 years of his life in isolation is in Acts 7 and 25, Stephen in his discourse says, For he, Moses, supposed that his children of Israel would understand that God would deliver them by his hand, but they did not understand. Moses just took it for granted. These folk are so ready to get out of slavery. I show up, and I'd go to trying to get them set free. They're going to rally behind me. I tell you, that's a good way to waste 40 years of your life right there. That's a good way for you to spend 40 years in isolation. And he supposed the danger of suppositions, the danger of supposing everybody understands. Trust me when I tell you the second time around when God told Moses, go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. You know what Moses did? He didn't go by himself. He brought Aaron. 
He went and met with all of the princes of the 12 tribes that were in captivity in Egypt. He got consensus before he walked in there. And he made sure he had a team. He built a team to build the dream. Amen. And you need to do that. And, and while some people do not survive the failure of their dream, Moses being the primary example of one whose dream failed, fortunately he survived it, others do not survive the success of their dream. And this to me is compellingly important. Daniel 4, 30 through 32, Nebuchadnezzar almost didn't survive the success of his dream. He dreamed of building a major empire, and he did. Largest and most regal of the ancient world. Historically, there's not another that comes close to it. And the king, Nebuchadnezzar, after he had done all of this, geographically, it was massive in size. Embraced nearly every culture and segment of society. He had conquered countless numbers of other kingdoms that he absorbed and assimilated into his own and after he had done all of that, he spoke saying, Is not this the great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling for me to live in by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? You get that? That my, 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 I, 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 the perpendicular pronoun. Y'all know the one I'm talking about? Ever talk to people, they all, all it's I, 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 all the time. And this is what happened. While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. And they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling will be with the beast of the field, and they shall make you eat grass like oxen. And seven times or years shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdoms of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. You see, one reason some people can't get anywhere is they haven't come to the until part yet. Until you know that God's in charge. Saul didn't survive the success of his dream. 1 Samuel 15, 16 through 17. Samuel said to Saul, be quiet. And every once in a while, I recommend that. Stop talking and start listening there. God might have something to say to you. And instead of you going to God and complaining it's not working out, maybe you need to just stop and listen to what he might have to say. And Samuel said, I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, speak on. So Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not the head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? But he goes on to say, now the kingdom is taken out of your hands. You made it to the top, Saul, but you didn't survive the climb. Haman didn't survive his dream. He dreamed of becoming the second in command of all of that mighty empire of Babylon I spoke of a while ago. He was from the, the people of, 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 of Amalek. If you remember, he was an Agite. And remember that guy that Saul let live called King Agag? This is one of his great-grandsons. So he was from the same part of the world that Israel was from. And he climbed up so high, he became the king's confidant, his advisor, his right-hand man. But he didn't survive his dream because it went to his head. 
And he's the one that tried to destroy the people of God that were also in captivity. It cost him his life, and he was hanged upon the very gallows that he built to hang Mordecai upon. And I've watched that in life. I've watched some people reach dizzying pinnacles of success and not survive it. I've watched some folk who were better Christians before they succeeded than they were after they succeeded. I'm preaching right now better than you're responding. I could name some names from our very city that you know. Top stars in the music industry and music world used to sing in choirs and churches right here. And now... You want to survive your dream. You don't want to not survive it. Psalms 106 and verse 15 says, And he gave them their request, but sent leanness unto their soul. And the message says it like this. He gave them exactly what they asked for. But along with it, they got an empty heart. You know what's sad? That's whenever you get exactly what you want in living color. High definition. Down to the slightest detail, but something dies on the inside, and you look around, and it doesn't mean anything to you anymore. Some people don't survive their dream. How do you survive your dream? The story that, that is the Christmas story actually contains a compelling message as to how one might survive their dream. And i got to go through this quickly. It is perhaps the most important and overlooked message in the entire Christmas chronicle. We know of the wise men. We know of the star. We know of the shepherds. We know of the angels' choirs. We know of Herod. We know of Bethlehem. But do we know what really happened in terms of the surrender of a dream that first Christmas? Matthew 1, 20 through 25 there's a guy named Joseph that plays a part in this story too. Mentioning just a little bit ago, the historical church, a Catholic church, not speaking disparagingly, but there's this whole thing about Mary that they elevate. And most of us agree, disagree with that doctrinally, though we do agree that she played a significant role in the life of Jesus. And Joseph is the guy that gets left out of this story more often than anybody while Joseph thought about these things, he's, he's engaged to be married, and this little girl he's engaged to is now expecting a baby, and he don't know what to do with this. An angel of the Lord appeared to, not Mary, it, she, an angel of the Lord appeared to her one time, but he appeared to Joseph numerous times. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. There are several things we can learn from these passages, and it's, it, it would not be a stretch by any means of the imagination to compare the birthing of a dream to the birthing of a child. From conception of that child on through the process of carrying that child to that child's birth on through its upbringing to its place of maturity and adulthood, dreams are very closely related to the birthing of children. To birth your dream means you're going to go through virtually the same steps. And the dream of every young couple is to have children. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I remember when Jerry and I got married back there when Noah was just stepping off the ark and, you know, and 
we wanted to have children. Yes, we did. And I don't know any family that, that probably isn't just like that. We've been married a long time now, and 48 years. And, and Joseph and Mary wanted children. They would, have, they would have been happy to just had a baby. But as I've tried to tell you in this series, God's dreams for you are always bigger than your own. And while they would have been happy to just have a baby, God wanted them to have the baby of all times. And while they wanted to just give birth to a son, God wanted them to give birth to the Son of God. And are you hearing what I'm talking about? God's not the one that shows up and reigns on your parade. Don't ever think that. God's dreams for you are bigger than any dream you've ever had for yourself. You say, well, I don't know if I can serve God because I've got dreams. Trust me. You partner with God. His dreams are a lot bigger for you than any you've ever had. Amen. They were content to just have an infant. Christ was the infant God wanted them to have. Amen. They were content to have just flesh and blood. God wanted them to have the incarnate child of God. Master of the universe, born, the one robed in flesh to be raised in their home. And I want you to see this because the scripture says that God dreams dreams bigger than, for us bigger than our own. Look at Ephesians 3.20. Now glory be to God who by his mighty power at work within us is able to do, say that with me, far more than we would ever dare or ask or what even Say it, even dream of, infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, or hopes. God's dreams are greater than yours for you. And, and as I said, anyone who's ever built a business will also see this similarity of conceiving and birthing and growing a child. If you've ever developed a relationship, there are similarities. And and you feel a special sense of obligation to your business or your child or your wife or your husband. Though there are many husbands or wives out there, the one that matters to you. And though there are many children out there, the one that matters to you. And many businesses, the one that matters to you is the one you have conceived and raised. Amen. That, that's the one that's close to your heart. You feel that way towards your wife. You feel that way toward your children, and rightfully so. And that's really, really important. Amen. And, and I want to tell you, it's a whole lot better to have problems early on in the process of your dream. I talked to you a few minutes ago and said, dreams often fail before they succeed. Don't you rather have it that way? Aren't you glad it's that way? I would rather have trouble at the start of my marriage than have trouble after I've been married 45 years. If you hear what? I'd rather have trouble at the start of my career than be there and when I'm just about to retire, be given a pink slip. I'd rather have trouble at the start of building my finances than to have trouble when life is just about over and I'm old and gray and needing that money to, to lean on. And Joseph and Mary had their challenges. Joseph is instructed to take this child, and, and, and Mary's part in this is well recognized. And I, I've got to close in just a moment. Her part is forever secure in history. She's the woman who birthed the Christ child. 
She's the woman that everybody recognizes. However, as the Christmas story itself emphasizes, the part of Joseph is significant as well. This is what is often overlooked on Christmas morning. And in churches and in the teachings of ministers regarding this, Mary is the star of this drama. Joseph is that little bit player that walks on stage for a couple of scenes and then disappears into the wings again. Joseph doesn't even get his name in big letters. He's way down there in the extras of the cast and and nothing could be further from the truth in terms of God's story and what happened. His His importance in this drama is clearly emphasized by the fact that once Mary conceived from that time forward, the one that heaven communicates is not with is not Mary, it's Joseph. Joseph, you take this woman. Joseph, you run into Egypt. Joseph, you come back from Egypt. The one that sought this child's life is dead now. Herod's out of the way. Over and over, God communicates with Joseph. You see, because this child wasn't just Mary's dream, it was Joseph's dream also. And Amen. Once he realized the origin of this child, he embraced that dream as fully as Mary did. Amen. And it was to Joseph that the angel actually gave these instructions. You call his name Jesus. Joseph became the guarantor, the provider, the protector. Joseph became the insurer, the one that was to mentor this dream that was about to be given. Every couple was instructed in those days to dedicate their firstborn child, specifically a male. Their dream, as I've already pointed out, every couple dreams of a child, every couple was instructed, you take that child and you offer it to God. Luke 2 and 22 through 24 says, when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him, Jesus. Who brought them? I'll tell you who did. Joseph did. Brought them him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. This verse is taken directly from Moses' law in Exodus 13 and 2, which in the King James reads, Sanctify unto me all the firstborn. Whatsoever openeth the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and beast, it is mine. We are instructed as they were instructed to surrender our dreams to God that it could be sanctified and holy. And I'm about to wrap this up, but during the course of this year, I've told you, you got to see it, which has to do with vision. And I told you the next step in the process is you got to say it, which is speaking life. And the next is you got to pray it, which means you need God's help and don't think for a moment you don't. And, and the fourth step is you got to pay it. There's a price to be paid to rise out of mediocrity. And you got to pay it if you ever want to excel. And then you've got to, you've got to play the hand that's dealt to you. And, and I've just concluded on you've got to stay it which is stay the course. But I'm wrapping this series up this year by saying you also have to sanctify it. Amen.
I want to conclude by saying I personally have watched and you can build a dream. You can point out a thousand examples out there, 10,000, 100,000 of people who have achieved their dream who never did sanctify it to God. Oh, yeah, even some of them running in our presidential primaries on both sides right now. And they, they've achieved a huge and lofty status in life that most of us will never ascend to. You see, the first steps that I mentioned, see it, say it, pray it, pay it, play it, and stay it. You can build a dream with those steps, but the problem is you don't survive it unless you sanctify it. And I don't want you to build the dream of your life and look around and discover you're dead on the inside and, and you lost out with God along the way and, and somehow you're not where you used to be. Everything you ever wanted, you, it, it's there now. Oh yes, you've arrived. You fought to climb that mountain and you made it to the rarefied top of that mountain. You're there only to discover that something inside is not happy. And I've watched people do that. People give their life and surrender themselves to a dream. But if you don't sanctify it, I can promise you a dream unsanctified will destroy you and it will ruin your life. I've already pointed out a lot of people were much better believers and much better Christians than they were before God answered their prayer. But he gave them their request and they had leanness in their soul. You see, as a pastor, I want you not only to succeed, I want you to be the happiest person in the world when you get there. And I want you to feel like life means something to me now. If you surrender your dream to God, there are several important things that will happen. Number one, God will fight your battles for you. There will always be opposition to face and overcome and building your dream. And even once you get there, there's going to be opposition. You will have people talk bad about you, misunderstand you, and question your motives and impugn your, impugn your character. They will misjudge you. They will try to shut you down. They'll try to hold you back. You'll go home and look in the mirror and say, am I the same? Is that the same person that I'm looking at that they just got through telling me I was? I, I don't think I look anything like that. And you say, but pastor, do people talk bad? about you? Oh, yes. Yes. In fact, somebody said, does the devil ever bother you? I see him in the line back there, but there's so many folk in front of him. I just say, wait your turn, Mr. Devil. Amen. The point that I'm making is life is set up that way. But if you sanctify your dream, God will fight for you. Oh, yes, he will. Oh, yes, he will. Oh, I need somebody to say God is fighting for me. If I hold my peace, the Lord will fight my battle. Amen. Amen. God supernaturally preserved this child by giving Joseph dreams that guided their course and destroying the opposition and even moving Herod out of the way. Number two, God will see to it that your dream grows to maturity because a lot of dreams never make it. They were not sanctified along the way. And I spoke with you last week that God will both complete and perfect what he has begun in you. If the devil and Herod had had their way, Jesus would have died as a baby. 
But because Joseph and Mary gave their dream to God, their enemies couldn't lay a finger on them. And you give your dream to God, and I want to tell you, the devil can't touch you either. Hallelujah. Oh, somebody say amen right now. Number three, if you sanctify your dream, God will make your dream be the most rewarding thing you've ever done in your life. People talk about about midlife crisis. There's really no such thing. Let me tell you what it is in my estimation. It's people that spend their life working toward an objective, and once they get there, they look around and they're not happy at all. Because you can lean your ladder against the wall, struggle to get to the top of the mountain, and then when you get there, discover that you're miserable, you feel cheated, you're empty and fulfilled. They have sacrificed their time, their life, their energy, their money, their family, and everything to get to where they are, to master a career, to build a business, or yes, even a ministry. And then they think the fun can come later. But once they get there, there is no fulfillment And they're the most unhappy people in the world. They have foregone present happiness, expecting to enjoy it later. But they don't, and they divorce their companion. And we say midlife crisis. The very one that walked through the battle with them, they get rid of them, thinking they're the problem. No, the problem is your dream was never sanctified. Amen. You never gave it to God. And therefore, you can't be happy because if you don't have God in the middle of it, you're not going to be fulfilled. I don't care who you are. Amen. People ask me, I was interviewed yesterday in a situation, and and I said, they were asking questions. I said, the best thing I can do is just summarize it this way, that I am the single most fulfilled person you've ever talked to in your life. I said, others may want certain things because they need that to make them fulfilled. I don't. I happen to be the happiest person you've ever interviewed. Don't know how many you've interviewed, but I can assure you I am the happiest one you've ever interviewed. I love what I do. I'm doing what I love. I'm having the time of my life. As a pastor, I pray that you can find what I have found. And and you know why I feel this way? Years ago, it stopped being my ministry. It was his ministry. And I committed it to God. And I sanctified my dreams. Oh, beloved, you need to give it to God. Dedicate it to the Lord. And number four, as I conclude, when you dream, when you surrender your dream to God, He will get the glory. And I've emphasized the word "will" because I want you to understand. It mean, the word "will" means purposeful intention. I have a will, so do you, so does God. We talk about God's will. Let me tell you: whenever you sanctify your dream to God, God will get glory out of it. And for him to get glory out of it, there has to be some glory to be gotten out of what's happening. That means that God, if you surrender and sanctify your dream, will see that your life is so full of glory that he can't help but get some glory out of what's going on. Amen. And I don't know about you, but I don't mind at all God blessing me so much that people will look at me and be amazed, so amazed that in fact they'll turn and say, Ooh, Lord, you sure are good. I'm volunteering myself right now that if God, if you need some glory, go ahead and pour it on. I'll give it all to you. 
That's what will happen in your life if you will dedicate your life, your ambitions to God. And that's the most important thing you can do in terms of your dream. And when we come to the close of this year, as we will in just a few days, and to the promises and hopes and opportunities of a new year, I want to thank God for every success and every victory and every miracle and every answered prayer and every time he did something worthy of receiving glory that we did not merit or earn. Thank you, God. Thank you for making a way when there was no way. Thank you for getting rid of the Herods in our lives. Thank you for fighting our battles for us. Thank you for resurrecting dreams that had fallen into defeat. Thank you. Thank you for making a way. Thank you for getting glory that is bigger than we could have been able to do on our own. Thank you for dreaming dreams about me that are bigger than any dream I ever could have had for myself. And I finish by saying, I've heard from a number of our business people at different times, completely unknown to one another, different ones in our church that have been among the most successful of our business people, have come to me and told me, you know, we've noticed that whatever CT is going through, our business walks through the very same situation. When CT is facing challenges and we need to pray, you know, I, we, we, I've had somebody tell me that this past week. I, my business walks through exactly that same cycle. When the church is blowing and going, we're blowing and going. You know what? That I got to thinking about that. And I, it dawned on me that you're so closely tied into the vision, that your vision is part and parcel of God's vision for this house. And, and I want to tell you up front, this is going to be the best year we've ever had. So hang on. Oh, somebody give him some praise right now. Somebody give him some glory. Would you stand with me across the building? Build your dream. See it and say it. Pray it and pay it. Play it and stay it. But don't forget to sanctify it. Make it holy. Because that's what the word sanctify means. Survive your dream. Don't make your dream survive. Make sure you survive your dream. Don't be one of those that did better in their faith before God elevated them. Don't be one of those that uses God to get to where you're going and then forget who brought you there. And that's what God kept telling Israel, don't you forget where I brought you from. You didn't get here by yourself. Just make sure you remember that I brought you from out of Egypt with a mighty hand.